I'm back from the move. We made it to our new home without much incident. And for two Aries moons and two detrimental Mercuries, I think we did a solid job of not letting tempers flare and communicating while moving. So yay us. If you're signed up for my mailing list, then you know that my books are closed for the remainder of 2023. You guys are like lightning with the bookings and I can't tell you how grateful I am. I've met with a few of you already and it has been so fun and such a pleasure. And if you booked in either November or December, then I cannot wait to meet you. Even though my books are closed for the remainder of 2023, they're going to open again promptly in January of 2024. So you won't have to wait long. I also have a webinar on the lunar nodes in early December that I would be delighted to see you at. I'm going to be talking about Rahu and Ketu and what they mean and how we can use them in transits and in natal charts. So if you're wanting to learn more about the lunar nodes, the celestial dragon, so to speak, then consider signing up and coming to the webinar. Even if you aren't there at the time of the live video, I still send everyone a copy of the recording afterwards. So don't worry if you're in a different time zone or you can't make it. If you still want that webinar video and PowerPoint presentation on the Lunar Nodes, then sign up for that. All of my other services like poems and tarot readings will still be in stock throughout the year. So there's no waiting restock period with those. And just a really big thank you to all of my patrons for supporting me while we got through the move. You guys rule. Today's episode is super cool because not only is it the first one back since the big move and not only is it the first one in my new place, but it's also coming out the day before Halloween and we have a very special guest. Today we're going to be talking about death and astrology, more specifically death charts. You know about birth charts, but what about death charts? A death chart is when we take the passing of someone and use the astrological timing as an event, sort of like how we do when we do elections for businesses or weddings. Someone's death chart can show how their leaving this world impacts us, how we can heal, and what life was like for the person at their time of passing. As a practicing Stoic and sort of practicing Buddhist at this point in time, I think you guys all know my stance on death. I see it as the one thing that binds us all as humans. It's inevitable and it's not to be feared. We can't cheat death, nor should we try. The Buddhist in me has always wondered if our death chart informs what our reincarnated birth chart kind of looks like, but we aren't here to speculate about reincarnation today or fight about it or whatever your stance on it is. We're here to talk about death in astrology in all forms, but especially how we can use a death chart of a loved one or anyone to heal and glean information on how their passing impacts us. Now, our guest for today is someone who I consider somewhat of an expert on death. And to be an expert on death, I think you simply need to have experienced it, been around it, and then actually gone through the process of moving forward after it strikes. Today, we'll be talking with my beloved husband, He's a Scorpio sun, Aries moon, and Cancer rising, but don't let the water fool you. He has a Sagittarius, Venus, and Mercury. To me, he's an expert on death. He lost both his parents before the age of 30 and one of them during his Saturn return. He's had friends taken from him too soon, and he's, you know, he's just had a lot of experience with it and had a lot of time to also contemplate it. So buckle up, because you're about to hear two philosophical Mercuries explore the intricacies of life and death. Thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for doing it with me. I'm happy to be doing it with you. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you about this because I'm calling you my expert on death and I don't really know how someone can be an expert on death other than having experienced it or gone through it. You haven't had a near-death experience, but... No, but I've had a lot of death around me. Yes, you've, you've had a lot of death, whether it be family, friends, yeah. acquaintances, just... And you've also had people who have kind of had potential sort of like near-death things where it just... Wretched accidents, anything like that. Yeah. A lot of A lot of intensity around the human body and a lot of weird things yeah <laughs> you, you've had a lot of that you yourself luckily haven't experienced that and we'll talk about a placement that kind of saves you from that in your chart even yeah. though you are quite a klutz at times <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll i'll own that i'm i'm pretty klutzy <laughs> so today 
We're talking about death. It's the day before Halloween. I'm super, super pumped to be talking about this and this with you in particular because you're my husband. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Hello. I love you. I'm glad to be here. (laughs) So before we get into it, you guys know I'm a stoic. You know that I have certain views on death and I just want to clear the air before we get into it and say I'm not being callous about death. As a stoic, as a practicing stoic, there is the sentiment of memento mori, which is to remember that we're always gonna, everyone's going to die. Yeah. Every day, it, just remember you're going to die. And I don't want people to fixate on it. I surely don't fixate on the notion of death. You know that. No. But I think our mortality is something that links all of us. It links every living being. It is death is as much the purpose of this incarnation as life is. Yeah. To be here and to go through life, we couldn't do that without death. Your Alan Watts quote that you love so much. Yeah, I mean, to jump into my beliefs, I mean, Alan Watts is one of my favorite people. If you haven't read him or researched him, I highly recommend it. He described it as, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spirits having a human experience. And I think that really rings true. Like We're not the vessel. We're what's driving it. We are what's inside of it. And it's so much far beyond this mortal coil that we slough around this earth for however long we're allotted. And also just that opposites inform each other of their meaning. Yes. You can't have life without death. You can't have light without dark. You can't have anything without the opposite. So this this, uh, experience that we have wouldn't be so precious without death. Exactly. And we've been watching American Horror Story Coven because he has never seen it and we finished it and it was great to kind of rewatch that around Halloween. And in that show, they talk a lot about immortality being so much worse of a sentence than death itself. Truly not ever experiencing that release because what is death other than you're crossing the finish line? That is your, your great gauge of your life. You finally made it to the end and it should be celebrated as such, just like birth is. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with, I don't want you guys to think that I'm being callous about death, but I want death to be something that we all accept, that we see as this binding experience as living beings. And I'm going to start off with a stoic quote. This is from Zeno, and it is, no evil is honorable, but death is honorable. Therefore, death is not evil. And I really like that because it sets the tone for today's episode where we're going to be talking about astrology, the death of astrology, death markers, death charts, and how we can use them as a means to inform us to heal, to grow, to learn from death, and also to potentially accept death's role in our life and whether it is a big thing for us or not. And some people have charts that are brimming with death in a way where they are where death is just a bigger theme for them. And whether that means they're in the business of death, they just have a fascination with death, or death is a teacher of sorts for them. So we're going to go through Carrie's chart. He has graciously said we can do this. We're going to go through his chart, and we're also going to use the passing of his mother, her death chart, and we're going to overlay it on his and kind of see what lessons we can learn there. But we're going to start with death markers, as I have named them. I'm going to go over what death markers are, and then we're going to go through how to use a death chart as sort of an election and see how it works with a person. There's technically five houses in astrology that are associated with death. Some houses are more strongly associated than others, and some don't mean death, but more so what precedes death or old age or just anything right before death. The 4th, the 6th, the 7th, the 8th, and the 12th all carry the signification of death in some way. And I would say for simplicity, that if you're looking at your own chart or someone else's chart, you really want to focus on the 4th house and the 8th house to start because those are the true death houses, especially the 8th house in Hellenistic astrology that is literally the the house of death and taxes. So the 8th house is super important. The 6th and the 7th are more so what precedes death. And the 12th house, I just like to say that's kind of where the reaper lives. That's where Saturn has its joy. So it's Saturn's house. So of course, death is mildly associated there. But in general, the 4th and the 8th are going to be the main places where we see death astrologically. 
Again, some natal charts are brimming with death significations. I've had clients where they have a lot going on in the eighth house and some of them have to do with owning funeral homes or death is a fascination of theirs. And these people are going to experience a lot of death, the business of death, or again, just have an interest in the macabre. Great word. It is a very great word. I do enjoy that word. So let's take a look at your natal chart and give an example of how I'd go about looking for death markers. And then you can kind of give me your commentary on how you've experienced that placement in relation to death, if at all. Sure. Okay. So we're going to start with my fa- one of my favorite parts of your chart. And uh, there's a lot that I like about your chart because mm. I like you. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but immediately, the first time I ever looked at your chart, I saw that you have Mars exactly conjunct the ascendant. Now, that's not death per se, but people are going to be oddly aggressive towards you. It's not things that are going to kill you. And it's more often that this placement actually indicates clumsiness or that other people are violent or aggressive towards you. So have you had that sort of experience before? Of course. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I know you have. Yeah. It's pretty common for me to get cut off especially when I'm driving in the mornings. You know that from our morning conversations. I never get to the full-blown accident, but I get cut off like 10 times on my way to work every yeah. day, like without fail. Driving is a big one. Yeah. You're driving, there's, there are a lot of aggressive drivers towards you. And the one that always comes to mind for me is your neighbor when you were younger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up on like a, a one-lane road, rural. There was not a lot to do. No kids. So, you know, what, what do you do as a kid that you don't have any, anybody around you? You go play in the woods, play in the field, go walk the railroad tracks. One day I was walking down the railroad or walking down to the railroad tracks, minding my own business. I heard a gunshot, not uncommon for around me being a very rural area, but it sounded very close. So I stopped for a second and I heard three more consecutive gunshots and I started to look around. And as I turned around, I saw my neighbor who was across the street walking away from me. I was like, that's ah, a little odd. So something told me to just go home. So I went home. I told my my parents what had happened. And sure enough, like less than an hour later, like three or four police officers showed up uh, and were next door talking to him and ended up arresting him that day. So I didn't really think anything of it until I got a subpoena in the mail to uh, go to court. And it was in that court trial that we found out he had tried to shoot me, which is pretty wild. That was always (laughs) as soon as... uh it like linked up for me immediately like the astrology room it was like oh your your neighbor tried to shoot you and you have mars on the ascendant yeah it's like 13 or 14 years old just trying you know almost getting shot by your neighbor yeah and that's for no other reason than just like well yeah i don't know he just like did it It i wasn't like a bad kid you (laughs) know you were like the sweetest (laughs) (laughs) the most mild-mannered child having mars on the ascendant doesn't so much mean death but maybe things that could cause or bring about uh, the proceedings of death and injury that could. Well, that goes along with breaking my ankle twice, breaking my leg once, even just a year ago. Yes. The clumsiness that comes with having Mars on the Ascendant could bring about the parameters of death, I'll say. Yeah. You also have Mars in fall, and it's also in the bounds of Jupiter, which is a really auspicious placement, and that does help soften the harshness of this placement, which I am personally glad about. It never gets super bad. (laughs) So the actual death markers in your house, let's go to the bigger ones. You have a a decent, not a super packed eighth house, but you have some heavy hitters in there. And one of them is Saturn. So having Saturn in the eighth house, that is death creating hardship and being long or drug out for some reason. And just really understanding the life death cycle deeply and knowing that there's more than just this physical world. So can you tell me what kind of your beliefs about death are? Yeah, I think I summed it up pretty well with that Alan Watts quote of, you know, we're not humans having a spiritual experience. We're spirits having a human experience. Mm -hmm. I do believe that we should celebrate death the same way we celebrate birth because it is two two sides of the same coin, essentially. I didn't always feel this way. I had my own struggles with that, uh, especially with like the death of my father. I've, I've been tried and tested in this and it's only reinforced it in the last several years. Yes. And uh, I don't, I probably mentioned this in the intro, but 
you lost both of your parents at the age of 30. Yeah, before the yeah, by the age of 30, both of my parents had passed. Yes, one before and one at the age of 30. One uh at the beginning of my Saturn return and one just after my Saturn return ended. Yes. This is why I say you are my expert on death because you have experienced again these heavy heavy things. It's not just acquaintances, but people very close to you yeah. have passed and I remember when your Saturn return started, I said, this is the year that your dad's probably going to pass away. And I want to say that having Saturn in the eighth house does not mean in your Saturn return that someone's going to die. I know Carrie very intimately and I know his chart very intimately. So I was able to make that prediction. If I looked at your chart, I could probably also make a prediction on that. But his and the way it's set up and the events in his life, his Saturn return heavily dealed with learning about death and also transformation. Now, Saturn gives off big father energy as well. So when I saw that in the eighth house, I definitely made a note, okay, this could be about the death of a father, a father figure, or again, creating hardship around death and death that is very long or seems like it's being drug out a lot longer than it should be. And would you say that's accurate, at least surrounding the death of your father? Absolutely. So he was in hospice three times. He was in very poor health leading up to his death, preceded by years of alcoholism and drug addiction. And it really, really drug things out, not for the better. Yeah, it was. It seemed like you were always kind of waiting for that phone call or just wondering when is it going to happen. It's not. Uh, there, there were countless trips to the emergency room or you know, wondering, just left wondering because it, it was years. Yes, it was years. And it wasn't like he was in hospice for three years. It was three times. Three times over a couple of years. Yes. Yeah. So and, he would get out of hospice yeah. and be like, I'm good. And then it, it just kept being this long drug out process. We always joked that he had more lives than a cat. And he actually, when he died, he wasn't actively in hospice, which is the crazy part. Yeah, that is. I, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, he wasn't actually, he wasn't actively in hospice at that point. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this, your Saturn in the eighth house really creates this kind of longevity around death, which doesn't, which doesn't feel good to to deal with. Yeah. It was like a long, slow goodbye. Yeah. And then one of your other placements you have there is Ceres. Now Ceres, we just went over, she is the mother asteroid goddess. When I see Ceres in the eighth house, that tells me that someone is having to mother or nurture dying people or aid people through the transformational process, being a caretaker for someone who's dying or can't take care of themselves. It's likely that it's going to be a mother or a mother figure because it's Ceres or just that you are taking on a mothering role for others and having to sort of do mothering things for people sure so here we have both a mother and a father placement in the house of death and taxes everyone's parents die because we all die but when i see placements like this in there it can mean hardship surrounding those events and those events even happening sooner than average but with saturn there we know it was a more long drug out process. So can you describe the nature, if at all, was there a mothering or caretaker aspect to to anyone in your life? To both of them, really, both my mother and father. So I mentioned that they both had addiction issues. So it was difficult. With both of them, I felt like I had to almost raise them. With my dad, he was homeless toward the end end of his life. So It was a lot of making sure that he had food, that he had some form of shelter, that he was getting the care that he needed. Even going into his hospice, I was the one that had to deal with that type of thing. When he passed, I had to take care of all of the proceedings, the the funeral arrangements, all of that stuff. With my mom, she was an addict and her whole life and also disabled. For her, I, I was there every day. Every day that I could, I graduated early so that way I could start working more to bring in more money. I had to make sure she was taking her her medications. I had to make sure she was going to her doctor's appointments. I had to make sure she had food and money and things like that, that her bills were getting taken care of. So I definitely felt it with both of them, more so with my mother though. Yeah. It seems like with dad, you sort of gave him more strict boundaries and was like, I can't help you 
or, you know, there was something, there was like a line, kind of a Saturnian line that was drawn there. And then with mom, it was more so, I have to take care of you now. Exactly. With dad, I it kind of worked itself out that way, sparing yeah. sparing a bunch of the details mm-hmm. that are, aren't necessary. But with mom, yeah, I, I kind of did just, I became de facto caregiver, I guess, yes. is the best way that I can describe it. Yes. Also, you're, now let's not forget the transformation because the transformation, when we go through a transformation, what is that but death of self? Right. That's a death of a part of ourselves or an old version of ourselves. That's all transformation or metamorphosis really is. So you are also going to be going through your own mini deaths constantly. Absolutely. Constantly. So how do you feel that these placements in the eighth house, do you feel that you have had transformational processes? Oh, without a doubt. So when my dad died, I had already slipped into more addictive behaviors and hedonistic behaviors in my life, unfortunately. But when he passed, it really slipped me into full-blown alcoholism for myself, which is something that I never wanted to experience and I almost vowed to never experience. But unfortunately, I inherited the genes that it took a hold of me. I am proud to say as of today, I'm over a year sober, over 400 days sober, and, and that's from everything in my life. So I'm, I'm living straight edge. <laughs> yeah, we kind of take the Buddhist uh, perspective yeah. nowadays, and that's, a, that's one of the big precepts in Buddhism is to not have any mind-altering yeah. you know, drugs or influences at all. So and I, this is just going to be my plug that if anyone is struggling with any sort of addiction or needs a resource to talk about that, Carrie is a great resource because not only has he been through it himself, he has had parents with yeah. addiction issues and he has pulled himself out of that place after you know being in his addiction. So if you want to go to the Discord, you can go there. You can sign up to be a Moon member, become a... He pays for a moon membership every month. He's 10 the, bucks a month, baby. <laughs> he's in the discord. He would love to talk to you and, you know, just be a resource there for you. Just a, someone who's gone through it. Absolutely. So with dad, yes, there was a lot of sorrow, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma involved in his passing. I couldn't have been in a more different place when my mother passed, which was just in June. With that, yeah, it hurt. All death hurts because you're going to lose someone that you care about. There's the, that, uh, finite finality to Mm -hmm. it, I guess is the correct word. But I was in a much better place spiritually, physically, mentally, where I could say, okay, this has granted me a release. I didn't slip into the the woe is me, which Mm is it was I couldn't have been more in a more different place. Yeah, you kind of pulled yourself out of the addiction and the victim complex that you'd been living in for so long. So long. And that was your own version of death. Yeah. That was you having to die and mourn that old person who you were and then step into where you're at now. I mean, the person that I am now, if you knew me a year ago, you don't know me anymore. You yeah. know. You have another placement in the eighth house. So you have those two. You have Ceres and Saturn. And then you also have the lot of fortune or Fortuna which this indicates the fate and fortune that's bestowed without our influence. They're called lots because it's like a lottery. When your chart is cast, the lot of fortune doesn't mean, oh, that's where my fortune is. That's where my good luck is. No, the lot of fortune, Fortuna just indicates a big part of your fate. It doesn't say whether it's a boon or whether it's an obstacle I mean, you, I, I can interpret that for you. I'm sure you can interpret it for yourself as well. You can interpret that, but it's just something that fate has thrown at you that is going to be integral to your life. So having Fortuna in the eighth house indicates that death is an important, to, an important facet to the native's fate. Transformation and allowing parts of yourself to die and fall off and not holding on, not attaching to certain facets of yourself is going to be very important to the native's fate. So for you, allowing yourself to change and transform and allowing yourself to go from being young and vowing to never do something and then falling into addictive patterns and then coming back out of them. Yeah. I'm a better person for going through it. I could say that I'm a more fully formed human for having gone through it. So those are your death markers. I'll say you also have Jupiter in the fourth house which when I see Jupiter in the fourth house, I think people think, oh, my family's given me so much money or this and that. And 
That's yeah, right. <laughs> that's not what I see. When I see that, I think ancestors. Yeah. And you are someone I remember even first meeting you, you talked about like family and ancestry a lot. Yeah. It's very important to you. It is. Whether your family does diddly squat for you or not, people with Jupiter in the fourth house are going to be very connected to their ancestors, their lineage in some way. So, so that's going to be very important. It's almost like when I see Jupiter in fourth house, it's like, okay, these people need to connect with their roots yeah. to gain goodness and wisdom. They need to be proud of where they've come from, no matter whether they were rich, poor, somewhere in between, doesn't matter. So it's a death marker in that way. That makes sense to me. It's more of a death marker in like a spiritual ancestral yeah. way. So now let's get to death times and sinistry. Carrie, you know sinistry because I've done it for us. Yeah. Our our animals, our wedding, all of that. I've done a lot of sinistry and electional things in our lives. So now we're going to take a look at the death chart for you and mom. Sure. And we'll be taking the date, time, and location of her passing and using it as a way to see the effects of her passing on you, as well as the wounds and wisdom that it may incite. Because a death chart is just like any other election. It's like when I take our wedding day and I use it as an election and I put it over us, I see how our marriage, you know, how that shapes us and how we interact with it. Yeah. When I take this death chart and put it over your chart, I'm looking at the same thing. I'm just looking at how does this death impact this person? Any, you can do this with anyone who has passed. Basically, what you would do is take your chart, use it as the inner wheel, and then take the death chart and use it as the outer wheel. And you're going to look at the placements, where they line up, see where the energy is, and kind of what this death has given you. Right. What it has uh, shown you, what it is teaching you, and how it's going to impact you. So let's just get into it. We're going to start with the houses, the death houses, as I called them. And we're going to see kind of if anything falls there. And we're just going to just go through it. And then we're going to talk about aspects as well. The first thing I see in the fourth house is you have Fortuna there, the, the lot of fortune. So when I see that, it seems like the death itself would be sort of private or only really close family was involved. There's just something that's saying, okay, this was a very close knit type thing. There wasn't a lot of people involved even after the death. Yeah. We chose to do something private during that time. So she was on life support and we collectively made a decision to remove her from it after suffering a heart attack. Uh, it was literally just like, Myself, her mother, my sister, you were there, and then like our brother in law. Yeah. So it was a very small, tight knit thing. And yeah, it was just very, very close and private. And it was a it was very much a family decision. The the fourth house having the lot of fortune in the fourth house means it kind of fell on the family yeah. to decide. It, it, it was, really did. The fate of the family was like, okay, what are we doing here? Yes. Then the eighth house is an open house in when you overlay the charts here. So there's little to no inheritance and there's not going to be a whole lot of mitigating of personal belongings after the death. My, my mother did not live in wealth. She, she had probably $8 to her name when she passed. So there was not like any squabbling over the family fortune, so to speak. And unlike with dad, where you handled everything, right. there was more family involved here. Yeah. My dad didn't have anybody close. So Every all of his uh, after death affairs landed on me, whereas with mom, her mother was still living, so we had more support. It was a completely different experience. Yeah, and it seemed it, I, just me being here for this one. It seemed jarring for you. It seemed like you didn't know what to do because you were so used to having series in the eighth house that caretaker role. Yeah, you were so used to always jumping in and kind of being the savior and making sure everything was taken care of. And now it was, again, out of your hands. It oh, was, it was completely, it, it didn't make any sense to me, really. <laughs> so like, what do you mean I have help? Yeah, like, what do you mean I can lean on someone for this? <laughs> so it was strange for you to kind of relinquish that, but it's not so, it's not a bad thing, though. Because no. death is about release and be, get, getting that sense of non-attachment. It almost gave me time to process it too as yes. opposed to having to go 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 do 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 because these things have to be done it allowed me the space to actually process it yeah and we don't have dad's 
death chart, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know the time. So uh, we we couldn't really we could overlay it and see, but I I'm guaranteeing that it's very different as far as eighth house and how things are changing Absolutely. and being mitigated. So let's look at the bigger one when when we overlay this death chart onto yours. There's a lot going on in the twelfth house. So the Sun, Mercury, and Juno of the death chart are all in your 12th house. So this was very much a mental whirlwind. It was unexpected. It seemed like it brought up a lot of like feelings and baggage. This death was really felt internally and a lot was being shifted around. So can you just speak to how it was this? Was it actually a whirlwind? It absolutely was. To clarify, again, not sparing details, but I was in a somewhat of a caretaker role or being leaned on Mm -hmm. by both of my parents from a very young age with this it was like the the complete dichotomy of oh my god i'm losing a loved one someone i care about my family a parent but also the extreme release of i don't have to worry about them anymore i don't have to care for them anymore i don't have the burden of their life on my shoulders anymore and also the nature of this death mom was in a coma correct so, because she had been without oxygen for at least 30 minutes. 30 to 45 after minutes. After she had her heart attack, it was, there was a situation where she just, she was at ox, without oxygen for a very long time. She was in a coma. Mercury is in domicile in Gemini in your 12th house. And it gives me this being stuck in your own head kind of vibes. And I remember being in the hospital with you and us saying, we know she's in there and she can't get out. Yeah. And that, that was the huge mitigating factor for, we don't want to leave her in this state. Yeah, we we decided that she would be kind of stuck in her own mind yeah. for the rest of her life. And Mercury and domicile gives in the 12th house gives those psychopomp vibes of ushering someone, you know, out of that. I can also see all these placements in the 12th house indicating dreams or visions or being struck with random thoughts that have to do with the deceased. And not long after mom died, you did have a dream. I did. Again, I mentioned she had been in poor health for most of my life. And a dream, I don't know, it was probably two, three weeks after she had passed. It was not long. Not long, yeah. She was in good health. She came in this dream and she said, I'm okay now. I remember you saying she looked the best she's ever looked. And she was happy. And I remember you saying the dream was like there was a nice white church. And it was very vibrant the way we were describing all the colors. And she was We were in like a lush green field walking together. Yes. And she was just telling you like... I'm I'm good. Yeah. Mercury in the 12th house, having like spirits kind of speak to you in that deep way. I see that from this death chart. Yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things I think you can see when you're looking at death charts and overlaying it with your own is, will you kind of have contact with that, with that entity, that spirit again? And yeah. yours definitely tells me that yes. And I know throughout the day sometimes she'll just be like oh i miss mom and i'm like you can always talk to her i I know i know she's (laughs) listening i know she's listening to you i was just gonna bring that up how often do i say oh i miss mom yeah (laughs) i I wish i could call her i'm like all you have to do is talk because i know she can hear you yeah that was such a big part of my routine was talking to her every day i'd give her a call if i didn't see i saw her almost every day and if i didn't we were on the phone yes you at least called her every day just to check even if it was a quick two minute call you called her she was deeply part of your routine yeah Another thing with these 12th house placements are secrets, hidden things. So mom probably took a lot of secrets with her as she left this world. Um, which oh, she, she was a trickster. <laughs> she, she was not afraid to, to pull off some grand scheme. Yeah, she was. She had a Gemini son and she she definitely leaned into that. The trickster vibe, I'll say. But Gemini also has the, the signification of being a thief or someone who's very sneaky. And that can happen. Unfortunately, the trickster element of her persona manifested a lot in ways that fed her addictions. Yes. And that was the next thing I wanted to get to was the cycles of trauma and addictions are also just a huge theme with her passing because that addiction lives in the 12th house. Our mental world is the 12th house and the things that bind us. If you're into tarot, think of the devil card where the, the people are bound to the devil, but it's often by their own choices, own vices. Right. And having the sun, Mercury, and Juno all there. And not only that, but the sun, we'll get to this when we get to aspects, but the sun is exactly conjunct your Ketu, your south node. So it's almost like the core of her, like 
went out. It's a tale of the dragon. Yeah, that's a tale. Yeah, yeah. Look at you go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the sun is just like that light is gone. Yeah. But also those addictions are gone now as well. Right. You're you're slowly breaking those cycles of trauma and addiction. It's like I finally have all of my time and energy to myself. And we see that throughout the chart with the aspects. So let's look at those now. Juno of the death chart in the 12th house is trying your psyche in the fourth house. And this is the most exactly, exact, 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 the most exact <laughs> aspect within the entire chart. So when I see that, it's transforming that generational addiction through marriage or commitment. And then also the death chart Saturn is trying your natal Juno, which adds to the serious tone of marriage and taking your own commitments to yourself and others more seriously. Absolutely. And that's something that I'm most proud of. And I know she was proud of me was for conquering my addictions, for beating my alcoholism. It was also one of the things that I last said to her when she was on life support was, you know, one of the parting promises I made to her was that I was going to live in a sober way for the rest of my life and that I was going to love you for the rest of my life. Because truly, our our marriage is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And we wouldn't be here today had I not gotten over my addiction issues. And uh, having Juno in the 12th house, trying your psyche in the fourth house, that's just an extremely transformational thing using that energy of our marriage and your commitments to self and other other being me and just you know our our boys our cat yeah. and our dog and who's on my lap right now as we speak <laughs> our family because it's the fourth house the family you're transforming yourself and you're making this sort of promise to a spirit at yeah. this point uh, the way i looked at it was it was the the most cosmically binding thing that i could do mom's death and you can see that in the death chart that it was just such a profound moment for you. Yeah. It broke some fetters. It broke some things that had bound you. And then you had bound yourself to something new and healthier and in a better way just for you. Yeah. Then an another aspect that's very strong in these charts is the death chart psyche in the fifth house conjunct your fifth house son. So this death really changed your outlook on who you are and the person you're becoming, your inner core, it was shaken, but I want to say it was uh, reawoken. So through my getting a handle on my addiction issues and who I am personally, it was a lot of shadow work, as you know. So it was a lot of coming back to my faith, figuring out what I believe in and who I am. And this almost gave me, it was like a proving ground. It gave me an opportunity to like, okay, well, do you really believe in this or not? And I can say strongly, yes, absolutely I do getting back into Buddhism and spiritualism, the teachings of Alan Watts and Alejandro Hodorowski. It was all things that I had been really delving myself into leading up to this event. And uh, the sun in the fifth house, that's just you also having a deep creative core and uh, pleasure, creativity, sex. And then that psyche transforming that that's you getting a handle again on how you indulge and hedonistic tendencies. Right. And now I just indulge by drinking a lot of coffee and <laughs> hanging out with you and playing video games. And it's great. Another aspect in this chart that I thought was really prominent is the death chart series in your third house, sextile Vesta, your natal Vesta in the fifth house. So having the death chart series in your third house, mom was a huge part of your day-to-day -day routine. Yes. We talked about stopping in to check on her, calling her, thinking about her in general, making sure she had what she needed. That energy is now shifted to your own Vesta, which is commitment to self. Juno is commitment to other, but right. this is commitment to self and it's Vesta in the fifth house, which allows you to regain energy to put towards your own pleasures and happiness without feeling guilty. That was a big part of it for me. It's it's hard to, to really describe how big of a part of that for me it was because, you know, there were many times where I was like, oh, I should be doing this. I need to go do this. I got to go check on her. I got to make sure she has this, this, and this. And now I have that all of that space back. And not to be callous, but it, it is a tremendous relief to not have to have that worry anymore. 
Yeah, you you were assuming the role of a mother, of a caretaker. Yeah. And nobody wants to lose their parents. We all lose our parents, but nobody wants to. Right. And when you did, it it's really hard to admit like, oh, this actually feels okay. Yeah, that, it's it's a pretty strange thing. There's a, a tremendous dichotomy there. The same, uh, I lost my grandmother a few months ago, maybe not even a month, but a month or so ago. And she had dementia really, really bad for many years. And I remember my father saying, he's like, I feel bad saying it, but like, I, I do feel relief. And I was telling me, you know, you don't have to feel bad. Like this was a blessing for her because with dementia, if any of you have experienced it firsthand with a loved one, you know, they're just trapped inside this kind of loop in their own mind. And this is why I say that death can be such a gift in many ways. And again, we're only taught that it's something to be scared of in our own culture. I think it's a very big cultural thing that we're in the West afraid of death. Yeah, there's many other cultures that have rituals around death that are more of a celebration. Absolutely. I mean, the Irish wake, you you stand the body up in the corner and throw a party <laughs> and drink with it, you know? I mean, that's a little wild. That's, it it that's is. A wild, yeah. Um, and then you look at something as like the, the Tibetan uh, uh, sky burial where someone dies they read scriptures to it for a few days and then they dra- literally drag the body out into the field, reading to it and chanting to it all the way to let the vultures eat it and return it to the earth. But there's things called body breakers in that ritual that are cutting up the body and breaking the bones all along the way to make it easier for the vultures to carry away. But they're doing it in a like jolly fashion. They're having fun when they're doing it because they want it to be they want that spirit to feel comfortable moving on to the next existence and that it, it shouldn't be something scared of it should be comfortable yeah and if you everyone wants to go to heaven until they have to die yeah right is it yeah. and, and if you're in any sort of spiritual context just think of your own spirituality or religion and what you believe and usually death is this peak this pinnacle that you're like oh i've reached it but whenever we actually go to die. We're like, I don't want to die. Oh, no, absolutely. One of, the, one of my favorite quotes from Alejandro Hodorowski, another one, if you don't know anything about him, Google him. He is like the supreme holy man. He wrote a book called The Art of Psychomagic that is life-changing. Which psychomagic is like my version of reality bending. It's using thought and like Neville Goddard type thought to really yeah. change your reality. Yeah. So the quote, and, and this was out of The Art of Psychomagic is, If you have not accepted death, you have achieved nothing. Only acceptance of death delivers us from the thought of death. And that to me is pretty profound of you absolutely have to accept it. And and I would even change at the end of that sentence, you could replace the thought of death with the fear of death. Only the acceptance of death delivers us from the quote unquote fear of death. And that's a big stoic thing is we can't overcome death, but we can absolutely overcome the fear. Of it's death. like the biggest materialistic thing. Like we're, we're not our body. Like no. our body is our last materialistic thing of like, I don't want to get rid of it. Yeah. And uh, I don't know why, because we abuse our bodies so deeply. Most of the time we don't, we don't want to care about them until it's almost too late. Yeah, exactly. And then when it's time to release it, we're like, oh no, I don't want to go. But again, in all of these religions and these spiritual beliefs, Usually there's something way cooler waiting. And this gets me to the notion of Buddhism with non-attachment. You should be pumped that someone is like they're going on to the next stage of life. Yes, you can be sad. I'm not, we're not saying not to grieve. Grieving. Grief is important. Yes. Grief is extremely important, but it's okay to be like, it's like seeing your friend cross the finish line of the 5k or whatever that they've been training for. It's like, yeah, hell yeah, you did it. Also, like, I'm not going to see you after this 5K, which is weird, but like, cool, you but did you it. But you will when you run your own 5K. Exactly. When you run your own 5K what? of death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will meet them there. And it, it's just something that I think we should embrace a little more. I know nobody wants to die, but it seems like people are so fixated on not dying that they forget to live. You have to be here now. Well, before we get too into the, the more spiritual things, there's one more. One more aspect, and this was the biggest aspect, so I'm glad we saved it for last. This was the, when I overlaid mom's death chart onto your natal chart, I was like, oh, that is profound. 
And this is what kind of kicked off the whole like death charts need to be looked at. We're so fixated on birth, 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 again, birth charts and being here and living in this physical world. But everyone hates capitalism. So we hate the physical world. (laughs) So we're so focused on the physical world and attaching to it. But when I saw this placement, I was like, damn, we really need to be looking at birth charts and what they can teach us. Side note, I also have this like weird notion Maybe it's just the Buddhist reincarnation part of me, but I have this weird notion that at the time you die, that is potentially what the chart you get reincarnated with. Right. I don't know how fast reincarnation happens, if it's instantaneous or if you got to wait a while to find like the right vessel. But I really, I don't know, that's just my belief. I believe that your death time is potentially what you get reincarnated as. I can see it. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it would make sense. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You can't tell me I'm wrong because nobody knows. So nobody can tell me I'm wrong. So that's what I'm going with. I'll tell you when I cross the the finish line of the 5K. The 5K? Yeah. Okay. It's like, damn it. I'm I'm, starting the race all over again. I'm faster than you. You are. (laughs) (laughs) All right. This placement is the death charts Chiron in the 10th house conjunct your moon in the 10th house. Now, just looking at this, moon symbolizes the mother in astrology. Sometimes placements are so literal in astrology that we overthink them. So don't overthink it every anytime you're trying to like analyze something. So this one was the biggest one when I noticed it. Death's Chiron, exactly conjunct your natal moon, just speaks so deeply to the wounds that this passing is going to inflict, but also so deeply to the healing. Yeah. Because Chiron isn't Chiron isn't like Lilith. Chiron isn't just all bullshit and no payoff. Right. Chiron is wounds and wisdom. So through this, yeah, you're going to hurt. And you, for the way that things shook out in your relationships, you ended up being closer to mom, I think, because you were such a big caretaker for her. So dad's death's passing was hard because it was so long and drug out and Saturnian in that way. But mom's was like, not like you were losing a child, but someone that almost almost yeah so like you cared for her since you were young yeah like you very young you helped pay bills you helped make sure she had what she needed you know all of those things that that a parent would do for a child right and that that is that strong dichotomy of again the release but i always i'm always gonna miss her you know, I'm always going to miss dad too, but I'm always going to miss her. I was going to say, you, you, all, you also have those notions with dad where you're like, oh, dad would have loved them. When, when you remember them, when you reminisce, dad's is always more in like a jovial kind of like whimsical. Yeah, very whimsical way where yeah. it's like, oh, you know, he would have thought that was so funny. Yeah. But mom's is always sad a little bit. There's always a downtrodden. I mean, she was clinically massive depressive like her whole life. So there's always going to be that that deep wound with me because it's like yeah i i couldn't i couldn't do anything else but as we've seen through the placements in your 12th house and then this chiron on the moon there's so much release happening. oh it's incredible there's so much wisdom that you've gained through them being your parents and we've talked about this yes they had their limitations but they were working they loved you the most they could they loved me yeah and all of the ways that they knew that they could. Because they even had limitations with loving themselves. Absolutely. Because they couldn't break the cycles. Each, you, you hope that each generation, the cycle gets quicker to be broken. Yeah. Or, come, or comes close to it. And with you, it has. And I think once mom knew you were sober and were getting on stable footing, that's when her decline sort of it did. really showed itself. It did. And I think that that was her dharma in this life was to be able to get me to a point of stability. Yes. Even though she could not provide it, yes. it was her dharma to <laughs> see through that I got to a stable point. And it was really once I got to even keel that she started to really go down. Yeah. And she always had faith in you. Yeah. Even though, again, it was a strange dichotomy of you being the main caretaker, but her still being your mother. Absolutely. And that's what separates, you know, it wasn't truly like a, a, a true caretaker or a true like child parent relationship mm-hmm. on either end of the spectrum. It was this weird gray area. Again, this placement having Chiron exactly conjunct your moon. It's always going to be a wound that you carry, but it's all also going to be a constant source of it's in the 10th house. It's all it's going to be something you wear. It's going to give you pride. It's an Aries. It's going to it's going to show you your strength. It, it, it did. And it also was has been the greatest relief mm-hmm. of my life. 
So not to sound callous, but no, that's just and, the truth. And I don't think you sound callous looking through all these. There's some other placements here. Like you have uh, Jupiter, the, the death chart Jupiter is in your 11th house, which hopes, dreams, wishes. And I know that you kind of spoke to mom at the end about that and all the things yeah. you want to do and are going to do. And yeah. you sort of imbued those wishes you know, to her at the end there. To me, it was almost like putting them on a comet that was passing by. Like, <laughs> there, we, there we go. The moon was also exalted. The moon was in Taurus at the time of her passing, which, you know, that's just, that's a sweet place for the moon to be. It's, it's a very grounded place for it to be. I just think in general, from what I see in the, the death chart that lines up with you is you got a lot of your life back, but you also have new things that you've bound yourself to. Oh, I absolutely have. I feel like, I, again, I'm finally able to live my life as I want to and have all of this time and energy. I, I don't have that background hum. You know, when you plug something in, like a, a speaker, and it's not grounded, and it's just buzzing constantly? I don't have that anymore. No. No, you you definitely have a a more solid grasp on death, and you've experienced it enough to understand it deeply and i your your transformations are never going to stop you do have saturn in the eighth house they are going to be lifelong yeah it also seems like since you have saturn in the eighth house that it's it's very much out of your control yeah that's one thing that i haven't really spoke on but like the whole time my whole life up until really now i felt like i've just been on kind of autopilot of like i gotta get through gotta get through gotta get through and now i don't feel like i have to get through i can just stop and sit and relax <laughs> which is nice it is so do you have any other quotes any other things you want to talk about with your beliefs with spirituality at all no just really that like you mentioned if anyone's struggling with addiction issues or anything please feel free to reach out to me i have no problems talking to anybody about it and if you are hurting you're not alone yeah, I think that's a big one. The eighth house, the idle place can make you feel very alone. And Saturn is a place, a planet of isolation anyway, isolation yeah. restriction. So I want to close it out with another Stoic quote because the Stoics have informed my view on death so greatly, so very greatly. And uh, to close it out, it's from the golden boy, Marcus Aurelius. My guy. <laughs> Don't behave as if you are destined to live forever. What's faded hangs over you as long as you live and while you can become good now. Thank you guys for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you have a great Halloween tomorrow. Don't do anything too spooky. Just have a good one. Thanks for having me. Bye, baby. Love you. Love you. Love you.